0: passing key parts of their voter suppression wish list. Weekend voting, and specifically, souls to the polls, disproportionately used by black Georgians, remain in place. Georgia voters will continue to be able to vote by mail, regardless of their reason for doing so. And eligible Georgians will continue to be automatically registered to vote when they obtain a the driver's license, unless they opt out. Unlike some, though, I won't sugarcoat this. Senate Bill 202 is a power-grabbing Voter criminalizing suppression bill is nothing less than Jim Crow 2.0. This Republican passed legislation was rushed through with an unprecedented speed to avoid public scrutiny. The bill makes it a crime to show compassion by offering a bottle of water or a snack to a voter or their child waiting in line. And the bill makes it much easier to challenge Georgians' right to vote. State House Republicans seized power over the state election board and gave themselves the authority remove county election officials who don't do their bidding. They place limits on access to drop boxes, shorten the time frame to request a mail ballot, and more. At a time when Georgia ranks as the worst state in the nation for COVID vaccination rates, Georgia Republicans instead were laser focused on reviving Georgia's dark past of racist voting laws. Their efforts, based on the lies of conspiracy theorists and capital insurrectionists, are shameful. Sadly, As they learned from Jim Crow voting laws before, you don't have to explicitly exclude voters by race, but you can make sure people of color are clearly the target. It worked before, and they're counting on it working again. But we know from recent elections in Georgia that the way to overcome voter suppression is to vote. We must hold Republicans accountable by voting them out. I understand the passion of those calling for boycotts of Georgia following the passage of SB202. Boycotts have been an important tool throughout our history to achieve social change. But here's the thing. Black, Latino, API, and Native American voters whose votes are the most suppressed under SB202 are also the most likely to be hurt by potential boycotts of Georgia. To our friends across the country, please do not boycott us. And to my fellow Georgians, stay and fight, stay and vote. Make no mistake, though. We must also hold corporations accountable for their silence in this debate. We must demand they speak out against the more than 250 voter suppression bills in 43 states across the country. Let me make it plain. We see three steps companies should take to ensure the constitutional right to vote is real for all Americans, especially voters of color. First, corporations in Georgia and across America must use their full clout to support the voting rights protected in the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. This is vital to ensure that Americans have access to our democracy, and that that access doesn't depend on the state in which you live. Both of these bills are critical and not interchangeable. Second, companies must help address the lack of photo ID in our state and anywhere else where it comes up. It is estimated that 200,000 Georgians do not have a photo ID, and the so-called free state ID is not free. When the hours to access it are limited, transportation is difficult, and the documents needed are expensive for the poor, and they're hard to find. Companies must fund verified efforts to get these Georgians a photo ID. Third and finally, companies should be honest about the reality of voter suppression in Georgia and around the country. Long lines are just one example. Numerous studies have shown that these lines are in predominantly black and brown communities likewise limits on vote by mail early voting and registration are being proposed right now across the country emboldened by georgia to do whatever they like to voters they don't like we need corporations to get off the fence and speak up in states still considering this coordinated attack on voting rights we need congress to take federal action to fix these harms through the for the people act and we need them to ensure that georgia and other states must pre clear attacks on voting rights with the passage of the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Together, these actions will mitigate the harm of the horrible bill here in Georgia and the onslaught around the country. This is what corporate responsibility looks like in the insurrection era, the big lie fomented by a major political party that is nothing less than a contemporary Jim Crow. We cannot stand by. We must take action. So let's keep supporting Georgia voters and Georgia workers. And as we do, corporate leaders can show that they stand with us, the voters. Please go to StopJimCrow2.com to find out how you can continue the fight for free and fair elections in Georgia and around the country. All
1: right, that's drop that back onto the video in just one moment. It's time to be smart.
2: with uh, Jill Biden
3: today. Uh, It was wonderful. She carried a very strong message and having somebody from the White House like her uh, come to Delano, uh, California, to be there with the farm workers that they were getting vaccinated. It sends a strong message Uh, throughout the United States of America uh, that uh, that we need uh, uh, to make sure that our farm workers are protected. And I just want to add that in uh, Florida right now, uh, they have decided not to uh, vaccinate the farm workers unless they have an id and we know many farm workers are undocumented they don't have identification and the farm workers are from florida are going to go to georgia louisiana the carolinas and other places so they need to get uh, they need to get they need to let them get vaccinated so it was wonderful having her and not only that but having a a dr joe biden because again we're ending women's history month and having a strong woman like her she gave a beautiful beautiful speech of course, Governor uh, Gavin Newsom was there with us today and as uh, Congressman Jim Costa. But at Ending Women's History Month, I just want to remind everybody that we have to pass the Equal Rights Amendment. And we know that that is now also in the Senate. And I just I want to, if you don't mind, Lawrence, I want to just shout out uh, the website for the Equal Rights Amendment is E-R-A-Y-E-S 2021.org. E-R-A-Y-E-S 2021.org.
2: I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's one of the crusades you've been with for decades. That started in the nineteen seventies. It looks like it looked like it was going to make it uh, early on, and then it ran into trouble. But it is still a viable constitutional amendment. Uh, what What did you see today, uh, and what did you tell uh, the first lady about today? That is that you want her to bring back to the president. Well,
3: we don't. Uh, we did talk about the ERA, but also we talked about the. Uh, the farm worker bill, the farm worker modernization uh, bill which is also now in the senate and immigration reform and this is something that when we think about our farm workers they put the food on our table every day let's thank them by giving them legalization in this country uh, because they have been very adversely affected as you know by the pandemic they didn't get the masks that they needed uh, the ppe and many of them of course got COVID. many of them have died and so it's time to protect the people that nourish us every single day by making sure that they are respected and they get the, the resources that they need, not only a living wage, but the right to organize into a union. And for those that are not yet documented, that they are able to get that legal –
2: Uh, Dolores, you're sharing the screen right now with a farm worker. We we like to show that video when you're here, when you were here last time, because it's one thing to talk about how hard this work is. It's another thing to see it, to actually watch it uh, in that California sun, uh, how endless and repetitive and difficult that work is.
3: Yes, you have to have a lot of physical stamina to be a farm worker. You have to be very athletic to be able to do that work. You can see the speed at which they pick. And uh, you know, again, you know, those, those, are, I think they're picking lettuce right there, uh, but whatever it is they're picking, that's going to be on our on our dinner table. And not only here in the United States, but the food here from the San Joaquin Valley that goes throughout the world. So please, everybody, remember when you sit down to eat your dinner, kind of live, think and give a little grateful thought to the farm workers and and keep praying for them that they will be respected the way that they should be.
2: I want to go to the issues of of judges that uh, the president now faces. He's already on a pace that is faster than the Trump uh, pace of appointments, and the Trump pace turned out to be very fast. There's a lot of uh, ground to catch up on the federal bench. Uh, What is your reaction to that uh, first 11 uh, appointees, nominees, that the president has advanced? I was
4: ecstatic.
2: Great appointments. They're outstanding people. I... um... I believe very strongly that Joe Biden made a commitment,
0: and he's keeping it. He made it very clear on the night that he was declared uh, the winner. He said to everybody, uh,
1: especially to the black community, you have always had my back, and I will
3: have yours. And one of the best ways to have the backs of the black community in this country is to have a Supreme Court that is diversified, have a judiciary that is diversified with the backgrounds and experiences, not just when it comes to gender uh,
2: and race, but also the background and experiences that are necessary to allow you to stand in judgment of a people and do right by them. And I think that he has a great crop uh, to pick from. The uh, Justice Breyer is the most likely uh Supreme court justice to give up his seat possibly this year at the end of the supreme court term this summer to open up a seat uh, for joe biden to uh, get someone confirmed uh, does this slate of judges uh, give you a hint as to who he will select we know he's already said uh, that it will be a black woman but do you have any sense of who that would be no i don't um, i have been read it all the speculations uh, as many people know, I put forth a name uh, that's not among the ones uh,
3: that were named uh, a few days ago. Uh, the ones he named are good people. Uh, I put forth uh, another name, and I think uh, Michelle Childs is a great uh, justice, a great judge, and would make a,
2: an outstanding justice. So he has a big uh, reservoir uh, of to pick from, and I'm sure you'll do it uh, and do it in a way that all of us would be pleased. Uh, judge Childs is a federal uh, judge now appointed by President Obama. Uh, there's something unusual about her for the makeup of the current Supreme Court, and that is that she did not go to either Harvard or Yale Law School. Eight of the nine justices went to Harvard or Yale Law School. Uh, f- f- six of them uh, were former Supreme Court clerks who are frequently taken uh, from schools like uh, Harvard and Yale. Do you think there's something there that, that needs to be changed? Is there something in that that has now narrowed this process down to, to too small a group? Well, I've made it very clear. Uh, that People's backgrounds and experiences, as you know, uh, back behind me is my book, Blessed Experiences. And I say in that book uh, that we can never
1: be any more, know who will be in the less, and what our experiences allow us to be. And I do believe that having uh, the first background
2: uh, of experiences, I think uh, serves you well. And so uh, I don't have anything against uh, people uh, who went to the uh, high-league schools. I just believe that it will be a mistake. Uh, to determine uh, all others unqualified or unworthy. Let's start with bridges, and I have one to suggest to you. Uh, Joe Biden said today uh, that there's going to be this top ten bridges. uh, It's going to be a competition, actually. The the state's going to have to apply to say this is a crucially important bridge as defined by Joe Biden, and we'll see who gets uh, the funding for those uh, most important ten bridges. You might want to think about the Brent-Spence bridge, which I think, as you know, uh, connects Kentucky with Cincinnati, Ohio. Covington, Kentucky, Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, Kentucky, of course, the home state of a senator named McConnell. Uh, Ohio, the home state of a senator named Portman. And maybe, maybe you can soften up Republican resistance to this bill if that bridge is on the list.
5: I can tell you I've I've gotten an earful about the importance of of that bridge from uh, folks on both sides of the aisle. I just heard from Senator Brown about that and spoke to Governor Bashir today. And this is uh, an example of the the massive infrastructure needs we have in the country. So uh, if we get this bill passed, uh, this is certainly uh, an example of of a project that should apply for for that support. And I do want to emphasize, as the president did, that in addition to these 10 bridges of major economic significance that we've got to take care of, there's also a proposal for funding to deal with thousands of bridges that we know need support, but many of them in places like where I come from in Indiana and, and really every part of this country. And whether we're talking about bridges or roads and highways, whether we're talking about ports or airports, uh, rail or, or transit. We, we know that there's a demonstrated need in this country to do a lot, to go big. And that's what this plan does. Uh, for, for once, it really is infrastructure week. And I think we're going to open up an infrastructure season that will make for a, a better life in this country uh, if uh, Congress is prepared to follow the president's lead and deliver on this important
2: priority. You were personally, going to be spending a lot of time in the Senate and the House testifying about this bill. The Senate Finance Committee has jurisdiction over the tax pieces. And in the Senate, the Infrastructure Committee is actually called the Environment and Public Works Committee. And I was the staff director of that committee before finance. And what was always odd about it in those days is that we had environmental staffers over on one section of the office. And we had public works staffers on another section of the office. And they never talked to each other because the two things never had anything to do with each other and finally it seems to me in the legislation you've drafted the very title of that committee finally makes sense environment and public works when I see some of the elements of this infrastructure bill uh, that normally would be handled by the infrastructure team, uh, the environmental team up there is going to be very interested in these pieces also. That's right you know this package
5: recognizes that the two can't be separated from each other. Look, the truth is every infrastructure decision we make is also an environmental decision. Transportation is the single biggest contributor to greenhouse gases in in the economy, which to me means we get to be the biggest part of the solution. Uh, But that means that every transportation choice is a choice about our climate future. And the best thing about this is that this is where we get to prove out what the president has been insisting on, which is that the time has come to break the old false choice of climate versus jobs, this is job creation through good infrastructure investments that are also going to be good for the climate. They go hand in hand,
2: and it's time we recognize that in our policy. So uh, the president is uh, charging you with getting through a two, uh, uh, a $2 trillion. No, wait a minute. It's more than that. Uh, th- this bill is now at what level is it? Is it now, Mr. Secretary, in funding? Yeah, it's
5: north of two trillion now, including 621 billion specifically for transportation infrastructure. That will right. be my focus, and not right. to get too and technical, but I want to mention that that's that's sitting on top of the kind of regular process for uh, more routine transportation work that we've got to do in Congress.
2: Okay, so you're at two trillion uh, numbers we never dealt with in the Senate when I was there, uh, and. I, in the previous hour, I just heard Carson Alexandra Kaiser, cortez tell Rachel where she thinks this number should be, so fasten your seatbelt and let's listen to what number she thinks you should be working on.
3: My mom, she comes in and she's
0: dancing, like, hello, welcome, welcome. She is my everything, all rolled into
6: What we think is the actual investment that can create tens of millions of good union jobs in this country that can shore up our health care, our infrastructure, our housing, and doing it in a way that draws down our carbon emissions to help us get in line with the IPCC standards, we're talking about realistically uh, $10 trillion over 10 years.
2: And Mr. Secretary, I urge you to watch the rerun of that show, if you haven't seen it already, to listen to the full case that she makes about this, because she does make a serious case. What's your response to that?
5: Well, we are talking about the biggest jobs package in America since World War II. And this is truly a generational investment and a transformative investment. Uh, but I'm certainly glad to hear that, that there's a shared appetite for going big because this, this is not a moment that we can approach in a routine kind of way. Uh, this is a moment that, that I believe uh, calls to mind uh, those moments when America had a choice to make. Uh, most recently, probably when we had the interstate, highway system under Eisenhower. If you want to go back to one before that, probably the moment of the Transcontinental Railroad under Lincoln, and before that even, the Erie Canal, which sounded like uh, a pie-in-the-sky idea at the time, and wound up actually being one of the decisions, an infrastructure decision that actually helped make the United States into truly one country. That's the kind of moment in front of us, and uh, uh, look, the President laid out a clear vision and a big vision, but is open to, to hearing ideas from, from every corner of, of our party and the other party, too, if they have good ideas they
7: want to bring to the table. Officers have sued Donald Trump um, for sparking the January 6th mob attack, in which Officer Blassengame says he was slammed into a stone column while rioters hurled the N-word at him. Officer Hemby says he suffered hand and knee injuries that required continued medical care. Both said they suffer from ongoing emotional trauma that has upended their lives. Officer Blassingame said he lost count of how many times he was called the N-word. Uh, how much trouble might Glenn, uh, might uh, Donald Trump be on that? Because this is now, he's now the target directly of a lawsuit about that insurrection. Glenn, Yeah, first. and
8: this reads like a, like a straight-faced lawsuit. You know, I, I found it very... Um, emotional, frankly, that the officers who are suing for both physical uh, damage, uh, injuries and emotional damage, they said not only were they haunted because they were being physically attacked by the crowd, but they said they were haunted because they saw their fellow officers literally arms reach away being attacked by the crowd and there was nothing they could do to protect them. So when Donald Trump makes public statements about that, well, they were just hugging and kissing when in fact they were hanging and killing, or at least aspiring to hanging and killing politicians, th- this is a very straight faced lawsuit with real consequences for
2: Donald Trump.
7: And David, the last thing to you, um, you know, I read a piece in The Economist today about evangelicals taking a real second thought. Even some who voted for Donald Trump twice saying maybe we really shouldn't get that involved in that kind of politics and feeling a little icky about it. Um, You've got some of these insurrectionists trying to get sympathy, which they don't deserve, but all saying, you know, we felt like we were duped by Donald Trump. It It feels like Trump is heading toward a similar kind of isolation in a way the gates is i mean all of these guys have these icky kind of weird sexual things going on Donald Trump has all these sexual accusations that kind of politician has become popular in the Republican party do you see that kind of politician solidifying as what the party is or becoming more isolated including trump
5: Yeah, look, I I believe in a God that offers redemption. And for the evangelical movement, I think this should be a moment of redemption. I think in our national politics, Donald Trump is here to stay and likely running in 2024. And the evangelical movement and every other Republican will have to figure out how they offer support to him, considering, as Glenn just mentioned, that Donald Trump is a man, not as president, as a man, is responsible for the events of January 6th. He laid the predicate with the big lie. He issued the invitation to come to Washington. He gave the charge to storm the Capitol, and it resulted in the death, the murder of individuals. Donald Trump is responsible for that. It is because of him. Yeah. And so whether the evangelical movement or the Republican Party embraces him, again, there will be political judgment. But in my yeah. faith, there will also be judgment from God.
7: And joining me now is Georgia State Representative Park Cannon and her attorney, Gerald A. Griggs. Thank you both for being here. Really appreciate your time tonight, and I want to start by asking you, Representative Cannon, how you're doing. I see your arm is in a sling. Is that related to your arrest?
6: It is related to the arrest, but we do not have a proper diagnosis yet, and so I thank everyone for their outpouring of support and prayers in this time.
7: Let's go back to that day. Um, This was the day of the bill signing. You had Governor Kemp behind closed doors with six white men, Um, We're not sure who they were, but they were standing under this plantation sign as he's signing the bill. The door was locked, I presume. Uh, What were you thinking
6: in terms of trying to enter the
7: room? What was your goal? Well,
6: I am 29 years old and I happen to be elected to the district where Dr. King's birth home is and the King Center even the Carter Center and the State Capitol Building. I am very familiar with the Capitol because I am internally elected as the caucus secretary, just like Rosa Parks was with the NAACP. During that time, I wanted to get information out to the members about what was happening because members were scattered all over the place and the bill signing happened very irregularly. And irregularly how? Normally, as you can hear from other bills I've been present for, I've got the pins to prove it, there is information that is disseminated, that shares which bills are being signed and which members are requested, or how everyone can show up and attend. But all of those protocols on this very nefarious bill that actually impacts every single Georgia voter was not followed. It was instead sidestepped.
7: Let's, let's go to what happened um, when the officer approached you. And it, it seems like a pretty ludicrous explanation, but the arresting officer has claimed that he was thinking about the January 6th insurrection and feared that the protesters outside of that door were going to try to gain entry into the Capitol in the way that happened when insurrectionists did this in D.C. We've spoken with at least one other state representative who was with you, and we could hear her yelling, what are you doing? Leave her alone. So we know that person who was with you as a state representative, who else was with you? Because this officer is making it sound like there was a sort of raucous crowd, but it seems like at least some of the people with you were also
6: elected officials. It's so important that we all remember the state capitol is a public place. It is the people's home. And during COVID-19, some protocols just continue to be sidestepped. We normally are able to have people in person When bills are being heard in committee, they can testify and share their stories about being voters. But at every level of Senate Bill 202's passage, people were cut out of the process. Even state legislators who were on the committee were unable to have their amendments read. They were not given fiscal notes. And measures are right now from independent reports saying that this bill will cost over 50 million dollars to implement in the next few months we have municipal elections coming up very soon so it is urgent right now that people understand what's going on at the state capitol and now we have adjourned for our legislative session yesterday was sine Die. a lot of people say sunny die but it's sine Die. and that means that we will not be back at the state capitol until redistricting, which happens later this year after we get our information from the census and the federal government. So it's going to be really easy for people to stay in touch with their lawmakers if they jump in right now. And just to be clear, the people who were with you, were they there with you specifically to protest the bill? Would
7: you consider this to have been uh, essentially a protest?
4: Well, no, I think that they were there to witness the bill signing. There were members of the House that were present. There were also voters that were present. Uh, They were simply there to witness the signing.
7: To stay with you for a moment, uh, Mr. Griggs, go through these charges um, that that the representative is facing uh, because these are apparently serious felonies.
4: Yeah, they're very serious felonies. She's charged with felony obstruction. She's also charged with disrupting uh, the General Assembly. Uh, one charge carries a one-to-five-year penalty, and the other is a one-to-three. So she's facing up to eight years in prison. But it's also important to know that she was merely wanting to be a witness to the signing of this bill for millions of Georgians. They were rolling back voting rights, and it's important to be witness to this so that we can go report out to the rest of the, the state what's actually happening under the cover of night, under a, a picture of a plantation, and be able to be the representative she's been for five years, the voice of her district, the
7: voice of Georgia. And Mr. Griggs, one more question. Is there a law on the books preventing an elected official from entering the governor's office?
4: I'm not, I don't know of any law that prevents that. I know there's a law that protects uh, an elected official uh, through the constitution from being arrested uh, while in session, and we believe that applies to my client. Uh, They can only be arrested for either a felony, treason, or imminent breach of the peace. We believe the facts uh, are inconsistent with any uh, legal theory that necessitates her arrest, and that's why we're going to continue to fight. She's been a voice for the Georgians. She will continue to be a voice for Georgia, and she will be a voice for voting rights.
7: You know, um, Representative Cannon, one of the ironies um, of what happened to you, and we all watched it play out on video, and I think it was shocking for people to see, particularly, you know, the optics. Um, Gabriel Sterling, who is an election official there, he essentially called the bill, particularly the part about not being able to give water, just simply bad optics. Actually, let me play it for you. Let me play Gabriel Sterling.
5: the reality is in november and january there are no lines to, to do that with so it was a really bad optic it's a good talking point for them but how does that suppress anyone's vote especially in a racial way it makes no sense
7: so he's claiming that it's just a bad optic it doesn't really restrict anyone's vote but when you want to talk about optics you are a black woman obviously black women were decisive in turning uh georgia blue Um, in turning out to vote in record numbers, and we can see it in the laws that are being passed all over the country, which are trying to restrict black voters because of what black voters in places like Fulton County did. Are you surprised, I guess is my question, that the state would pursue a prosecution of a black woman, that police would arrest and detain a black woman, given that that's the optic now? that a black woman is being punished for trying to witness the signing of a law that restricts black voters.
6: I am not at all surprised that this is what is happening in 2021 in America. This is America. And we have to remain steadfast in protecting the right to vote. That's why when the late Congressman John Lewis took my hand, marched with me, to the Fulton County Government Center and voted with me in 2016 and helped me understand why that was so important. I'll never forget it. But unfortunately today, the only thing etched in my mind are two things. Why were they arresting me? Why? taking away black and brown voters' rights, as well as all voters' rights. This is America, and we have to keep on knocking. And and Mr.
7: Griggs, I I wonder if you had conversations with the prosecutor. We know the chief prosecutor in the state of Georgia is a black woman who's also pursuing potentially charges uh, against the former president for attemp- attempting to obstruct the election. So she's got a lot on her plate. Has there been any, co- any sort of co- uh, conversation back and forth with the, 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 the prosecutor's office about what might happen here? Because it's hard to imagine an elected official being really prosecuted um, for just attempting to witness the signing of a bill.
4: There have been conversations with the DA's office and directly with the the district attorney. And we're hopeful with the witnesses that we provided and the evidence that we have uh, that she will make the right decision and dismiss this case uh, so that Representative Cannon can get back to the work of the people of Georgia and the people of the United States. And that's why it's important that you keep on knocking, that you keep on getting in some good trouble so we can make sure we protect our voting rights. We can make sure that H.R. 1 and H.R. 4 become the law of the land so we won't have any more of these type of prosecutions simply because individuals trying to protect the rights of millions of voters. Uh, Representative
7: Cannon, do you support the calls for a boycott? We now um, have a date as of next Wednesday. Um, There have been now calls officially, including from clergy, for boycotts against Coca-Cola, against Home Depot, uh, against Delta Airlines. Do you support that?
6: I support corporate accountability. I really understand that Georgia is proud to say it's the number one place to do business. Well, I ask, is it the number one place to access the right to vote? And we have to grapple with the reality that many of these Fortune 500 companies have needed to be at the table but were absent. I was roaming the halls, checking my emails early in the morning and making sure to reach out proactively to these organizations and companies to say, where are you? And just like that day, I keep wondering, why? Why? And,
7: and I know that you are a member, I believe you're a member of Reverend Warnock's church, or at least I know that he did come to check on you um, when you were originally detained. Um, if you wouldn't mind sharing, what did he say to you, um, and, and you know, what has, what has his support looked like?
6: Well, Pastor Warnock, as I call him, has always been a rock for me in the situations that relate to voting. I have consulted with him over the years about this very deep and spiritual connection of the right to vote and black communities. So we discussed very briefly the provisions of the legislation. We talked about the attack on Sunday voting. To which one of the top Republicans would say to us, actually the numbers show that African Americans didn't use Sunday voting, and then gave a wrong number. But when we pulled back that number into a percentage, it was clear 37% of African Americans in Georgia used Sunday voting, and Sunday voting is not just about voting on Sunday. It's about voting in a place where you feel safe, where you know that you have access to accessibility ramps, where you can get some water. Maybe you can actually take a nice stop at a garden while you are protecting your community. And unfortunately, Senate Bill 202 takes away the rights of Georgia voters to vote on Sunday because it limits it. It says counties must choose Saturday or Sunday. And we say, no, we're not going back.
7: Well, um, Representative Park Cannon, I really appreciate you being here um, this evening. And Gerald Griggs, um, your attorney, thank you both for being here. I suspect there might be more people giving you a call, Mr. Griggs, because I think a lot of uh, activists are planning to arrive in 2022 with water in hand for Georgia voters. Because I don't think there are very many people
1: out there that don't think that is absolutely absurd. So thank you both for being here. In trying to suppress, uh, voters, whatsoever. This is clearly an effort by one party to rewrite the rules of our political system.
7: Wow, that was Minority Leader Mitch McConnell dismissing Democratic legislation that would roll back draconian voter suppression legislation that is sweeping through Republican legislatures across the country. Apparently, the Kentucky senator has spent so much time in his shell that he missed the roughly 250 bills in 43 states that are targeting black, brown, AAPI, and young voters. Nearly everywhere that the GQP has legislative control. Mitch's willful ignorance of the fact is a recurring theme for him. Just yesterday, this native of Sheffield, Alabama, born in the 1940s deep south as Addison Mitchell McConnell Jr., claimed that the filibuster, a Jim Crow relic, has no racial history. McConnell and his Republican cohorts are mounting a, frankly, hysteria-laced and basically fact-free campaign against a number of popular pieces of legislation, including the For the People Act, which would expand voting rights and roll back the repressive measures that Mitch's fellow Republicans are passing in the states. Today, the Senate held its first hearing to assess the Democrats' preeminent piece of legislation. Former Attorney General Eric Holder, who now leads a Democratic redistricting initiative, appeared before the committee.
8: It seems to me that this is the right time this is the right um act um dealing as i said with that uh, uh, that unholy trinity of voter suppression um dark money and gerrymandering these are all things that are handled um by this act and will make our electoral system more fair uh, more responsive and more available to the um to the american people and that's why i think this bill um should be passed
7: Republicans, who are better at cutting taxes for the rich than they are at passing meaningful legislation for the working class, have called this bill a power grab. They're getting backup from West Virginia Democrat Joe Manchin, who told reporter that he did not want to pass voting legislation solely along party lines. Despite Manchin's now commonplace obstinance, people close to President Biden are telling Axios that he's feeling bullish on what he can accomplish and that he's fully prepared to support the dashing of the Senate's filibuster rule to allow Democrats to pass voting rights and other trophy legislation for his party. Senator Dick Durbin, the head vote counter for the Democrats, had this warning to all the conservative Democrats, like Manchin, who were skeptical of undoing the old Jim Crow filibuster, which was most prominently used historically to try to stop voting rights for black Americans. And they're trying to convince him to help pass this legislation, said Durbin. Show me that the Senate can operate with a filibuster and still do things that make the US a better nation. Show me. Joining me now is Eric Holder, former U.S. Attorney General and Chairman of the National Democratic Redistricting Committee. Great to see you, uh, uh, General Holder, and let's just start with a few of these myths. Great to see you. Uh, Let's start with a few of these myths. Uh, Mitch McConnell claims um, that the filibuster has no racist history. Your thoughts?
8: Well, the filibuster was used throughout the 20th century to frustrate the passage of civil rights bills i mean that first and foremost uh you know we had to get past a just humongous filibuster in 1964 to get the 1964 civil rights bill in place same thing again with the voting rights act in 1965 but you can go to earlier versions of civil rights bills where southern senators democrats to be fair uh, were filibustering to try to make sure that civil rights bills did not become the law of the land
7: Dixiecrats to be to be specific and it is interesting that that sort of faction has moved right on into the party of Lincoln um, but what's also interesting is that there are still Southern Democrats and conservative Democrats who are still clinging to the filibuster a, a very bad old thing from the old Democratic Party as you point out people like Joe Manchin um, there was this quote that Joe Biden is feeling sort of the, the, the brush of history um, he feels like he can pass a lot of really important legislation including this bill uh which is now sr1 it's got a john lewis voting rights act etc in your view you know joe biden very well it worked with him how can he feel that optimistic with people like joe manchin still clinging to the filibuster
6: well you know i think
8: it's early in the game and at this point we're talking about the filibuster in some ways um, in, in a vacuum. Um, I think once some of this legislation is actually passed um, by the Senate, you know, S1, um, HR4, which is the John Lewis advancement um, Voting Advancement Bill, um, perhaps a minimum wage, when it becomes something that is, that is concrete, something that is tangible, and then the question is, are you in favor of the filibuster, or do you want to do that which is morally right and which is also politically popular? That I think is when uh, we will find we'll find the true test, and it doesn't mean you know that you have to do away with the filibuster. It may be that you carve out um, you know parts of the filibuster so that this legislation can in fact um, be passed. So I, I think, as I said, pressure needs to be placed, but as we're not at the uh, near the end of the game at this point.
7: But we are at the point in the game when Joe Manchin is essentially saying he will not allow anything to pass unless Republicans are on the bill. Do you believe, having dealt with these a lot of these same senators, that there are 10 Republicans who would vote for a bill that would make it easier to vote? Because demographically, if more people can vote, more people of color are coming online as voters, and they don't do so well with people of color. There's no political interest for them to let more people vote. Do you believe there are 10 Republicans who would, in any universe that we live in, vote for SR1?
8: No. Um, And let me be clear. When I say pressure will be brought to bear, I mean on Democrats, not on Republicans. They've made made the determination that um, they can't win elections where more people vote. And so they've made a determination that what they're going to do is to try to change the rules. Uh, They are happy being a minority party that exercises majority power. And they are okay with that. And so uh, no, I don't expect any pressure to be can be brought on um, Republicans sufficient to get 10 Republicans to vote for uh, any of this, uh, this vote reform legislation.
7: Yeah, let, let me let you listen to one of those Republicans. Here's Ted Cruz making his argument against the, the law, against the For the People Act.
5: We can still touch people's lives in attempts
1: And now Good morning, everyone. Thank you for being with us today. On the first day of employment at the Sheriff's Office, and we hire once a month, I meet with men and women, and I said I expect you to be honest, ethical, and moral all the time. I expect you to treat people like you'd want your mother treated. And if you do that, you'll have a wonderful career here. And then I go on to explain that, you know, if you work for a fast-food restaurant and they catch you sliding pizzas out the back door to their friends they will terminate your employment and run you off but there's a difference if we find you violating the law at the sheriff's office will we will also terminate your employment but we will lock you up in the county jail we are held to a higher standard You can't police a community if you don't hold yourself to a higher standard than you expect of the people from the community. Then I look at them and I say, do you understand what I said? And I have them all say, yes, sir. I understand these folks forgot. They forgot what they were taught. They obviously didn't pay any attention to my warning. And as a result, we locked these three deputies up on Friday night. And here's how it started. These three folks were on our crime suppression team. We were receiving complaints and actually fears of gang activity and narcotics activity in a community. And they were sent there to try to keep the community safe stop the narcotics dealing and as a result break up the gang activity while patrolling in the winter haven or the central district area they came upon a suspect who ran a red light john rosinski who has been with us for about three and a half years stopped the vehicle he was backed up by jamal lawson and garrett cook When they stopped, they asked for permission to search the vehicle, which was denied, which is traditionally what our suspects do. We called a canine. The canine did a search and alerted to drugs. They searched the vehicle, and they found in the trunk of the vehicle marijuana and alprazolam, controlled substances. So they arrested the suspect. And in the suspect's pocket, it was a female. She had more marijuana in small quantities and $723. When they wrote in their affidavit to put her in jail, and John Rosinski was the arresting deputy, they wrote that they seized a large quantity of cash. So they wrote it in the arrest affidavit and they also wrote it in their initial report. So this was on the 21st of December. They take the suspect to jail. They have a day off. They come back to work on the 23rd of December, where John writes his report, and he processes evidence, and he puts several pieces of evidence into property and evidence. But they don't put any cash, any money, into property and evidence. What the three of them talk about on the 23rd is, uh uh-oh, the money's missing. They counted it. All three of them at some point in time counted the money and determined it was $723. And then I'll fast forward to the investigation. Rosinski said Lawson had the money. Lawson said he didn't have the money. Rosinski had the money. And Garrett Cook said, I never had the money. But they all admitted counting the money. So they decided on the 23rd of December, we've really got a problem here. We're missing money. We've lost the $723. They decided at that point what they would do is they would all kick in and replace the money, which is inappropriate, by the way. But they never did. And they did not go to their supervisor and say, we lost the money. So time goes on. Rosinski even has a conversation and says, you know, I'm afraid before this is over with, I'm going to get arrested for theft. Brush your teeth in less than 10 seconds with this revolutionary toothbrush.
5: It was created by a well-known dentist.
1: So they still do nothing. Now let's advance into March, when our suspect's felony charges are reduced to misdemeanor possession of marijuana. Once that happens, our suspect calls property and evidence and said, hey, I'd like to have my cell phone and my money back. She said it was somewhere under $730, she didn't know exact how much exactly how much. Property and evidence refers her back to the district and to the supervisors where the event occurred. She calls and talks to what we call the RID, Regional Intake Detective. That detective was filling in, actually, for the red detective, and she said, look, I would like my money back. So he looks, he pulls up the reports, and he says, we'll get back to you. He calls Rosinski and says, um, "I don't see any money here." Rosinski gets panicked. Rosinski starts talking to his buddies, and I'm giving you the thirty thousand foot view because, at the, and you can see it in the press release, they have different versions of this conversation. In the meantime, Rosinski also calls down to P and E, Property and Evidence. The property and evidence lady goes no there's no mention of any money in any of that property and evidence that was that was seized and ultimately we have but the property and evidence lady went forward and searched all around to see if maybe a piece of evidence got logged by mistake under the wrong case number and she found none and then rosinski says when he called the lady at p she said, he said, call me back on, my, on your personal cell phone. So they had this conversation, and he said, did anybody hear you talking to me? Just forget this conversation occurred. She hangs the phone up, and she says to herself, Self, that doesn't sound right. So she goes to her sergeant. Her sergeant goes to Rosinski, sergeant. Rosinski sergeant calls him in and goes, what is this all about, the money? Don't worry about it, Sarge, we got it covered. I'm writing a supplement report. And the sergeant says, stop. I don't know what you're talking about, but stop what you're doing. Everybody did what was right when it came to their attention by our suspect, who is now the victim of a theft. But these three folks. So our, our Brzezinski sergeant gets with his supervision. We start a criminal investigation immediately. This all happens from last Monday. Last Monday's when the lady made the initial request for her money back. We do an investigation, and our detectives and supervisors are simply the very best, did what they were supposed to do. When they saw something that wasn't right, they immediately investigated. And within five days of this being first brought to our attention and us sorting through and talking to the supervisors and the P&E and completing an investigation, on Friday night, we locked all three of these deputies up. Now, I can tell you I've been with the sheriff's office my entire adult life. And from memory, I can only remember two other occasions in almost 50 years where we've arrested more than one deputy at a time and that was both of those occasions were back in the 1970s this is the first time ever that we criminally charge three deputies and it wasn't just for the event it was for the cover-up they attempted a cover-up and they all three committed criminal charges, or viol- criminal violation of Florida statutes. Let it be clear that I commend everyone from the suspect who made the initial report to the property and evidence lady who said this call's not right to the supervisors on the ground when they first became aware to the investigating. Supervisors and command staff are doing the right thing because that's what we do here, the right thing. If this group of people had done the right thing, we would have done the right thing. They did the wrong thing, we still did the right thing. We locked them up in, in jails where they belong. So let me give you some background. As a result of this horrific, totally illegal in violation of all the policies conduct we will go back to each of these folks and audit every report they ever wrote that dealt with an arrest or seizure of any property it will take us some period of time and here's my pro- promise to the community and here's my promise to these three folks if we find evidence of any other criminal event, we will go back to your house and we will arrest you again and we will put you in jail. At this point in time, obviously, we've not had time to do that audit because we were working all week long on arresting them in the first place. But we took this a step further. Command staff from the sheriff's office Supervisors from the Sheriff's Office contacted the State Attorney's Office and requested that the criminal charges against the suspect be dropped because we can't vouch for their credibility any longer. We also promised to the State Attorney's Office that we would audit their case reports and the cases they've made and certainly that will be a decision by the state attorney's office as to whether they accept their testimony on any pending cases but i am mad beyond words that these three folks have impugned their reputation and more importantly of the other thousand plus deputies that work here with their criminal conduct i'm gonna request when I have a conversation with our state attorney, that if there's any negotiated pleas, it all requires them to spend some period
7: of time in jail. The biggest mistake women can make when it comes to reducing wrinkles is...
1: They know it. I want the community to know it. We've also made arrangements through our now victim to not only drop the charges, but we will be working with our legal affairs department and our finance department to give her to her money back. And certainly we'll go back as part of any criminal prosecution on them to try to get us reimbursed. We don't know where the money is. We highly suspect that one of the three of them stole it, that it was never lost. We think that's just a lie along the way. But which of the three of them ultimately got the money, we don't know. It appears to us from everything we can put together from all of these convoluted stories that John Rosinski was the last one with the money before it disappeared. And you just don't lose seven hundred and twenty-three dollars in small bills. Hmm. So I'm pretty hot about that, as you can well imagine. Well, Makayla Butler, Michaela Butler, who's twenty-five and a detention deputy, she decides to go to a some kind of an event. Over the weekend down south with some friends, and she gets arrested for DUI. She's a detention deputy. She was driving erratically on State Road 31 in DeSoto County. She ran off of the roadway. She crossed back over the center line, and a deputy from DeSoto County stopped her. I applaud the deputy for enforcing the law and taking her into custody for driving under the influence. She is suspended pending investigation. And obviously, if our investigation supports their investigation, that's also a termination event. i said it a lot. I'll say it again. We enjoy trust from this community because we hold our deputies accountable and to a higher standard. I appreciate the fact that our deputies and supervisors and employees support staff, as soon as they got information about wrongdoing, they brought it to our attention, and we're always going to do the right thing. And this is one more exception, or one more example of doing the right thing. So with that, do you have any questions? I don't know what else I can tell you, I've told you everything that I know. Yes, ma'am.
0: I know that you said John Rosinski was with the department for three and a half years. The other two do you
1: have? Jamal was with the department three and a half years and Garrett Cook five years. Garrett Cook and Jamal Lawson were also on the SWAT team. Sheriff,
8: do you believe that money was drug money that the woman had on her? You have no way to approve.
1: Well, that was, that was the original charges because it was in small bills, and, it, and small bills are what we see on street sales of drugs. However, once again, uh, the, that money was taken from her and never made into property and evidence. And this is the craziest thing in the world because they wrote in their report that they took the money. They wrote in the affidavit that they took the money, And then they didn't put the money in evidence. It just makes no sense. Initially, you would think, well, missing money, maybe it's true. Well, if it was true, all they had to do was go to their sergeant and say, we lost the money, we dropped the money, whatever, little bird got the money. But that's not what happened. They had this grand conspiracy from the day they discovered it missing. Well, I suggest to you, it's not missing. It's stolen. <laughs> and we're not absolutely sure which of the three got it. We suspect the strongest that John, because he was the last one seen with the money. But at the end of the day, makes no difference. They're all in trouble. They're all arrested. They're all, they all resigned. We didn't have to go through the termination process with them. They resigned on Friday night upon their arrest. They said they were sorry or anything like that. They said a lot of things when we put those handcuffs on them. They found out getting handcuffs put on you is not near as exciting as putting handcuffs on people who commit crime. But our detectives were really pleased to put handcuffs on the three of them. a lack of risk for such a relatively small amount of money. They didn't just risk their job, they risked their reputation. They risked any future opportunities to work in law enforcement. They risked everything over a tiny amount of money. Hey, can
0: you talk about how it feels, I guess, for you all, because now, what?
6: If-
1: well, you know, there's you're, you're exactly right. There's always going to be a few people going, "Uh-huh, I told you." Well, here, let me tell you something. The system worked. The checks and balance worked, and you can suspect people, and that's per, that's people. But I can tell you clearly and unequivocally, I've got over a thousand deputies here working in detention, law enforcement, and the courts. I've got support staff working here that are honest, ethical, moral, and they do the right thing every day. And every time, without exception, we find someone that violates the law, we investigate them, and we arrest them, and I go a step further. I hold a press conference. This brilliant monocular telescope is taking the world by storm. It lets you see everything from transparent. I could have arrested them and then hoped that you didn't hear about it. That's not the way we do things here. We lead from the front. If we're going to hold this community accountable, we're going to hold ourselves more accountable. And as for auditing the reports, how long could that
6: possibly take? I mean, you said a
1: period of time, but it seems to like go a lot. Well, they, one's got, two of them has three and a half years of experience and one has five years of experience. Fortunately, things are computerized, so we'll go in and all of their calls for service don't require a, an arrest or a seizure, so we'll start at the top and work backwards. And if it takes, you know, three months, six months, however long it takes, that's just how long it'll take, but we want to make sure that we're comfortable with there's not been another episode of this and if there has been they'll be held accountable for that as well that's the only way we can be comfortable and that's the only way the community can be comfortable is for us to do a complete and thorough audit of all of their work and it'll be a much easier than it would have been back in the day because everything's computerized
0: you said that at one point they tried to replace the money kicking and replace the money, which obviously you said is inappropriate. Um, did they ever do that, or did they just say they were going to?
1: Well, Lawson, actually Jamal Lawson, actually within the last week or last week when this thing started scurrying around, he sent Rosinski five hundred dollars through his Apple Pay. Rosinski obviously had to put it in his account because that's how it moves. Rosinski was doing a supplement report, and he also dummied up a swear-to, that's part of his criminal charges, a swear-to affidavit, and that's when we said, time out. So whether or not he would have put the money in evidence or not, we don't know because he never had a chance to because we stopped it. We were involved in it. So Jamal is out $500 more that Rosinski has in his account. But we'll let them deal with that. We're dealing with the criminal part. I don't know, maybe Jamal will want to come back and file a theft charge on him later if he doesn't get us $500 back. We'll take the report. We'll file another charge. But right now it appears to be a a a, a civil engagement involved in the middle of a criminal event. Anything else? If we find that they have violated other criminal charges, we'll send out another press release. Thank you. God bless you. We'll see you next time.